And then there were three. Three undefeated teams left in the NFL, three races to go in the NASCAR Cup Series season. Good evening and welcome to episode 27 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Hope everybody has enjoyed this beautiful Thursday on the 22nd of October. 80 degrees out today. 80 degrees. Does not get any better than that. I wish fall and winter, I wish every day could be like that. So like I said, a lot to cover on tonight's show. Only three teams left in the NFL that are undefeated. The 5-0 Pittsburgh Steelers and the 5-0 Tennessee Titans square off this Sunday. Woo! Seattle Seahawks, they are 5-0. They're coming off of their bye week. Their game has been moved to Sunday Night Football. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. And three races left in the NASCAR season. Texas, Martinsville, and Phoenix. So let's kick things off. This past weekend at Kansas Speedway, doubleheader on Saturday, the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series, they ran. And for the first time this year, I knew it was only a matter of time, Brett Moffitt finally broke through. After so many second place finishes, a lot of them coming to his teammates, Sheldon Creed and Zane Smith. And what an interesting battle that was at the end. Him and Zane Smith for the win and a spot in the championship four. The two of them get together. Zane, man, he did one hell of a job holding on to that truck only to spin out, send the race into a green-white checkered, and Brett Moffitt holding off teammate Sheldon Creed to clinch the first spot in the championship four for the truck series at Phoenix on November 6th. And the thing is, it was kind of deja vu for Sheldon Creed. I mean, the way that his year is gone, he has led tons of laps. He finally broke through in victory lane, Kentucky, the Daytona Road Course, Gateway near St. Louis. But the one theme lately is he dominates these races. He wins the stages just like he did. You know, at Las Vegas, dominates the first two stages, finished second to Austin Hill, dominated the first two stages at Kansas, finished second to his teammate, Brett Moffitt, but nevertheless in great shape. As far as the Trek Series championship goes, I think him, their other teammate, Zane Smith, I think they could definitely be a part of the championship for that fourth and final spot. I think it's definitely going to come down to either Austin Hill or Grant Enfinger. So definitely looking forward to that. And you know, Matt Crafton, the defending champion, he still has a good shot at it, but Ben Rhodes and Tyler Ankrum, they definitely shot themselves in the foot. You know, Ben Rhodes, he was caught up in an accident on Saturday, pretty early in the race. Big, big pileup coming off a of turn four, and sure enough, Tyler Ankrum was as well. Tyler finished 34th, Ben was 20th, so definitely must-win territory for Tyler Ankrum at Texas and Martinsville if he wants to be a part of that championship for in Phoenix. Now, later that night, the NASCAR Xfinity Series to no surprise. Chase Briscoe, once again, just like Las Vegas Motor Speedway, dominated, absolutely dominated, winning all three stages, leading 159 out of 200 laps. I don't think it comes as any surprise to anyone that he was the first driver to clinch a spot in the championship four. And what an amazing weekend for Chase Briscoe when you think of it, as we all know, on Monday. Sure enough, Stuart Haas Racing, they did finally announce that he will be moving up to the Cup Series in 2021, taking the place of Clint Boyer and the number 14 Ford for Stuart Haas Racing, his sponsor, High Point. They are moving up with him. No word yet on a crew chief, you know, if it's still going to be Johnny Klossmeyer or if Richard Boswell, his Xfinity crew chief, is going to move up with him. But nevertheless, congratulations to Chase Briscoe, a great race car driver, but an even better person. Go back and watch his appearance on the Dale Jr. Download. Absolutely amazing talking about all of, all of the crazy ups and downs just to get to this point, whether it was volunteering at, at an ARCA team, getting the chance to drive their car, win a championship, getting to drive Brad Keselowski's truck, winning their very last race at Miami, you know, and then eventually the, the driver development contract with Ford, catching the eye of Tony Stewart, his childhood hero, and now you're getting to drive Tony's number 14 car in 2021. Well, well deserved. Getting back to the Xfinity race, though, two of the heavy favorites for the championship besides Chase Briscoe, Austin Sendrick, Noah Gregson, you know, between the two of them. They've won seven races this year, but it's been a while between the two of them. And, you know, very early in the race, just 16 laps in, you know, they had that moment on the back straightaway coming off a of turn two. It almost looked like Austin Sender came down or Noah Gregson came down. Sure enough, the two of them got together and both of their cars were destroyed. 
Noah Gregson, done for the night. Austin Sendrick, you know, he was able to get back out there. But sure enough, finishing 27 laps down in 28th, now all of a sudden he is not a lock for the championship four at Phoenix on November 7th. And crazy, crazy race. You know, Daniel Hemrick uh, second once again. But how about Ryan Sieg and Justin Moneymaker Haley? Ryan Sieg finishing third. Justin Haley fourth without his crew chief, Alex Yance, this weekend. Brandon Jones going for three Kansas wins in a row. He finished ninth. Justin Allgaier tenth. But realistically, he definitely could have finished in the top five if not for that boneheaded move down on the apron, trying to pass Anthony Alfredo, ended up – Anthony ended up flipping and taking out Riley Herbst. Thankfully, everyone was okay. Ross Chastain, the struggles continue. He finished 12th. So as of right now, the final four, the championship four for the Xfinity Series, Chase Briscoe, he is locked in. The three that would join him at the moment, Justin Allgaier, Brandon Jones, and Austin Sindrick. Justin Moneymaker Haley, he is only two points behind Austin Sindrick for that final spot in the championship four. Ross Chastain, 10 points back of his teammate. Ryan Sieg, another five points back. And wow, Noah Gregson, talk about that. You're one of the championship favorites. You wreck your eighth out of eight, and you are 33 points behind Austin Sendrick. So definitely must-win territory as well for Noah Gregson at Texas and Martinsville. And then finally on Sunday... The NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas Speedway. Oh, my God. 40 degrees, blustery winds, cloudy all day. Thankfully, the rain held off. But, you know, honestly, a very, very dull race when you think of it. You know, the the finish was exciting and everything. Joey Logano holding off Kevin Harvick for the win and clinching the first spot in the championship for it at Phoenix on November 8th. But realistically... It really wasn't that great of a race. And once again, this is the problem that we have with the 550 horsepower high downforce package. It just doesn't make for good racing, but for God knows whatever reason, NASCAR wants to keep it. You know, and right off, I mean, right off the bat, you know, Chase Elliott on the pole, thanks to his win at the Roval, he looked good early on, but radio issues. And that was the surprising thing about it was that NASCAR didn't even black flag him. You know, and and I know that a lot of fans were raising hell about that. You know, oh, they didn't black flag Chase Elliott because they want their golden boy to get to the championship four. Then again, I I understand where the fans are coming from. At the same time, there have been many, many times over the years where drivers have had radio issues where you can't hear the crew and you still find a way to make it work. You know, I remember Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Charlotte one year back in 2002 because of a rain delay. You know, the race started about an hour or two late because of rain. And the race started, and he couldn't hear his crew, plain and simple. You know, he he just <laughs> swapped the helmet out, swapped the helmet out, got a new one. He was able to hear the crew, and he finished ninth. I remember Kyle Busch, his rookie season in the Busch Series at Dover. You know, I think it was the same situation because of rain, you know, probably getting down in there. He couldn't hear the crew, and, I mean, he, he was without a radio the whole race, basically, and ended up finishing fifth. So great, great recovery for, for Chase Elliott to finish sixth. Denny Hamlin, as I expected, I really expected Denny to be the guy to beat to score three Kansas wins in a row and, you know, to clinch his spot to the championship four at first. You know, sure enough, he did win the very first, or no, excuse me, Chase Elliott won the first stage of the race, holding off a hard-charging Brad Keselowski, and that was the thing. Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bollins, that two crew, they needed a strong run after some pretty, pretty bad finishes ever since they won Richmond. You know, the power steering pump going out at Bristol, running terrible at Las Vegas, getting spun at the last corner at Talladega, and finishing 18th at the Roval. Solid, solid fourth place finish for Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bollins, and the two crew. But that's the thing, you know, this race didn't really have all that much action to it. You know, Matt Kenseth, boy, I'll bet he's ready to retire. I can tell you that. Him getting together, coming off a turn four with Eric Jones finishing last. But I think the one person that you definitely feel heartbroken for, without a doubt, is Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch, you know, the the amazing win that he had at his hometown at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last month to advance to the round of 12. And finishing fourth at the Roval, you know, here he is. He's on to the round of eight when really no one expected it. And Kurt was running great on Sunday. He certainly had a top five car, and the engine blows. And Kurt finished 38th, only getting three points on the day. 
And what a, like I said, just what a heartbreak of a day for Kurt Busch. You know, he is a wheel man. There was some talk that next year could be his last year. And now all of a sudden it is definitely must win for him at Texas and Martinsville. I think the amazing thing about Kurt Busch was, you know, he got out of the car, you know, and he did his interview and he said, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, Hendrick Motorsports engines, they don't blow that often, but these are the things that happen once in a while. Now, compared to Kurt Busch, say, 15, 16 years ago, I'm sure he would have some very choice words for the engine department and the meltdown would continue. But, you know, I think that's the great thing about Kurt Busch is just seeing him mature into such a great person. So the second stage of the race went to... Denny Hamlin holding off Kevin Harvick. Gee, that sounds pretty familiar on the year, doesn't it? The one thing I noticed with Denny Hamlin this year is and obviously a big, big announcement today. Him and Michael Jordan, they did announce the name of their team. We'll talk about that in a second. It just seems like ever since these rumors about him starting a race team with Michael Jordan, it just seems like... Denny and the 11 team have been off and sure enough he hit the wall on Sunday when he had one of the fastest cars he had a pit and he ended up finishing 15th and that's the thing you know ever since the playoffs started these are Denny Hamlin's finishes ever since the playoffs started and of course with all the Michael Jordan rumors 13th at Darlington 12th at Richmond 21st at Bristol and those are three of his best tracks and then into the round of 12, third at Las Vegas, he did win Talladega, but then he spun three times at the Roval and finished 15th. And so that begs the question, as my former co-host Josh Manley has asked several, several times, especially on his show on the Average Joes and everything, are we in for another Denny Hamlin choke job? Think of it. I mean, he's won seven races this year, but like I said, in the playoffs, just one win at Talladega of all places, and that was a very controversial win, obviously, with the call. You know, should he have been penalized for going down below the yellow line, so on and so forth? Like I said, are all these outside factors, like starting a race team, is it starting to get to Denny Hamlin to the point that he could potentially not make the championship four? Think about that for a second. It's it's a strong, strong possibility, and... You know, with Denny Hamlin, like I said, it's it's now or never. You know, he's going to be 40 years old on November 18th. The chances of him winning a championship, the older you get, it, you know, it, it gets slimmer and slimmer. Well, unless you're Kevin Harvick, obviously. But like I said, Denny, he just doesn't seem to have that clutch factor in the playoffs. So sure enough, after that, Kevin Harvick, you know, to no surprise, I mean, he pretty much dominated the last stage of the race. And it was definitely looking like he was on his way to the win. And when you know it, Tyler Reddick hits the wall with about 45 laps to go and brings out the caution flag. Now, here is the problem that we have with this 550 horsepower <clears throat> high downforce package. So sure enough, everybody comes in for the, la the last round of pit stops. Joey Logano beats him off a of pit road. And Joey... Didn't really have that strong of a car on Sunday. I mean, he certainly had a top five car, but, you know, he only, he only got two stage points. He finished ninth in the first stage. His car was not all that great. But sure enough, they restart the race, and he's out in, he's out in clean air, and he is able to hold off Kevin Harvick, blocking him, you know, down the front stretch, and it, it, just, it just blows my mind to think that, you know, in NASCAR, usually, you know, Kevin Harvick, he's said it himself several times throughout his career, the fastest car doesn't always win. And this was just the latest example of it. How pathetic is it, you know, first off, that you're running wide open in between turns one and two at Kansas Speedway, a high-banked, fast mile-and-a-half racetrack. And you, you catch Joey Logano, but you can't pass him. Seriously, like I said, you know, like Brad Keselowski has said, the, this 550 horsepower high downforce package, it definitely takes it out of the driver's hands as far as them being able to make a difference. And I think that's definitely one of the most frustrating things about this package. Don't get me wrong. You know, Joey Logano, Paul Wolf, TJ Majors, the 22 crew, you know, they did what they had to do. You know, Kevin said himself, he said, Joey's a very good blocker. But at the end of the day, like I said, any, any other time, any other time, Kevin Harvick would win that race if it was a 750 horsepower package or a 900 horsepower package. So, like I said, moving forward, I can only hope and pray that eventually we could get a 700, at least a 750 
horsepower low downforce package. So sure enough, Joey Logano, he wins the race. He clinches the first spot in the championship four. And what an interesting pattern that Joey Logano has in his career. So ever since the championship four format started in 2014, you know, 16 drivers, 12 drivers, eight drivers, then four drivers, the last race for the championship. And obviously whoever finishes the highest of the four, they're the champion. Joey Logano made the inaugural championship four in 2014, had a shot to win the championship, and the jack broke at Miami, the last pit stop. Then the next year, he wins six races, but, you know, he had his incident with Matt Kenseth, wasn't man enough or mature enough to apologize. Matt wrecked him at Martinsville. Then he blows a tire at Texas, making it a must-win at Phoenix, and sure enough, the rain comes at Phoenix. Dale Earnhardt Jr. wins, and he ends Joey Logano's chance of the championship. 2016, Joey makes it to the championship four again, winning at Phoenix, and came so, so close. So close. 2017, he wins Richmond, and then, you know, his car fails post-race inspection. They don't count that towards the playoffs. And him and Todd Gordon, they have a complete meltdown and miss the playoffs. And then 2018, you know, they only won two races. You know, they won Talladega in the spring. Then he knocked Truex out of the way at Martinsville in October to advance to the championship forward. Truex whined and cried about that like he does about everything else. But sure enough, Joey went to Miami with, with that mantra, the big three and me. You know, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., they had dominated the season. And Joey went there. He won the race and won the championship. And then last year... You know, last year he won at Las Vegas and he won at Michigan. But then after that, you know, him and Todd Gordon, they tapered off, made some bad, bad calls at Phoenix, and they ended up missing the championship four. And we all know about the major crew swaps afterwards. Joey Logano getting Paul Wolf and Brad Keselowski's pit crew, so on and so forth. And they won their second race together at Las Vegas. They won their fourth race together at Phoenix. But then the season gets shut down for the pandemic, and it seemed like they were off a little bit. So a very interesting pattern. Joey Logano in the championship for 2014, 2016, 2018, and 2020. So sure enough, he held off Kevin Harvick, who led a race-high 85 laps. Alex Bowman, <laughs> finishing third. He was catching the two of them at the end, and you know, much to the glee of Dale Earnhardt Jr., if these two keep racing each other, Bowman's going to be there and win this race. Dale, you got to realize there's 39 other cars out on the racetrack, buddy. <laughs> Brad Keselowski finished fourth, Chase Elliott sixth, Martin Trex Jr. ninth, you know, after having to start at the back for failing inspection twice. Tell me if you've heard that before. So going into Texas Motor Speedway on Sunday, obviously, like I said, Joey Logano, he's clinched the first spot in the championship four. Here are your championship standings. Kevin Harvick, he continues to lead 4,115 points. Denny Hamlin, as of right now, he would have the third spot in the championship four, 4,094 points. Brad Keselowski, he holds the fourth and final spot in the championship for, at the moment, 4,082 points. And eight points back of him in fifth, the first driver outside looking in, Chase Elliott, 4,074 points. His teammate, Alex Bowman, 4,055 points. Martin Trex Jr., 4,051. And like I said, Kurt Busch, after that engine failure, only 4,009 points. So sure enough, the starting lineup for Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway, Kevin Harvick, he is on the pole. Joey Logano will start second. Brad Keselowski, third. Chase Elliott, fourth. Alex Bowman, fifth. Denny Hamlin, sixth. Martin Trex Jr., seventh. And Kurt Busch, eighth. So as usual, you know, for the rest of the season, once again, we're going to have a triple header. The Xfinity Series, they will race on Saturday. 430 NBCSN, Texas Motor Speedway. Chase Briscoe is on the pole. Austin Sendrick, he won the Xfinity race there in July after Kyle Busch was disqualified. Then the truck race is Sunday at noon on Fox Sports 1. Sheldon Creed, he is on the pole. Kyle Busch won that race back in July, but obviously Kyle is not eligible to compete because of the playoffs. And when we were at Texas Motor Speedway back in July, Austin Dillon, you know, the surprise win that he had that got him into the playoffs, you know, having that track position there at the end, holding off Tyler Reddick, Joey Logano, and Kyle Busch, who really expected that. You know, Joey Logano, he had a great race there in July. He finished third. Kevin Harvick, he finished fifth. But, you know, him and Rodney Childers, they somewhat struggled looking for speed all day. Denny Hamlin, you know, he had a top five car. 
But he had two separate incidents. You know, him and Alex Bowman, they got together coming off a of turn two, and then Denny spun by himself and didn't get so great of a finish. Brad Keselowski, Jeremy Bullins, and the two crew, that was a hard-fought ninth-place finish that they had at, at Texas in July. The car was awful. They didn't get any stage points whatsoever. They fought all day for track position. So if you're a Brad Keselowski fan, I've, I'd definitely be worried about this weekend for sure. Chase Elliott, him and Alan Gustafson, you know, Chase has said they've struggled. At Texas Motor Speedway, ever since it was reconfigured in 2017, they finished 12th. Alex Bowman, you know, like I said, he wrecked in July, ended up finishing 30th. Martin Trex Jr., he was a part of that big wreck on the front straightaway and finished 28th. And Kurt Busch, he finished 9th there in July. So, <clears throat> my picks for this weekend, like I said, the... Xfinity race Saturday, 4.30 on NBCSN. Chase Briscoe on the pole, Austin Sendrick. He dominated this race back in July. You know what? I am going to go out on a little bit of a limb here as far as my pick for the Xfinity race. When I look back at that July race, Austin Sendrick, he had a fast car, but a car that was even faster than him was Justin Allgaier. He led 98 laps. You know, he won the first two stages, but he had the blend line violation coming off of pit road. I say that Justin Allgaier wins on Saturday and clinches the first or the second spot in the championship four for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Now to the Truck Series race on early Sunday afternoon. Like I said, Kyle Busch won that race, but he is not eligible to compete. You know... I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here once again. You know, this season in the truck series, it's been dominated by GMS Racing and the Chevy Silverados. But Texas Motor Speedway has been a Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota kind of track. Now, even though he was eliminated from the playoffs several weeks ago, I'm going to go with the guy that almost pulled off the upset in July, Christian Eckes, getting his first win in the Gander Outdoors Truck Series. Now to Sunday, 3.30 on NBCSN, the Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500. Dale Earnhardt Jr. at the track that he scored his first NASCAR Cup Series win at back in 2000. And Jeff Burton, he won the very first race at Texas Motor Speedway in 1997 for his first win. So they will be on the call along with Steve Letarte, won there in the spring of 2009 with Jeff Gordon. And obviously, Rick Allen handling play-by-play -play duties as usual. Kevin Harvick, he won this race last year, the November race at Texas Motor Speedway. As a matter of fact, oddly enough, talk about patterns. Jimmy Johnson won four straight November races at Texas Motor Speedway from 2012 to 2015. Here, Carl Edwards, you know, he scored the last win of his career in the November race in 2016. But ever since then... Who has won the November race at Texas Motor Speedway? Kevin Harvick in 2017, Kevin Harvick in 2018, and Kevin Harvick in 2019. So you know what? I'm going to say that that trend continues. I'm going to say that Kevin Harvick matches Jimmy Johnson for four straight wins in the fall race at Texas Motor Speedway and becomes the first driver since Jimmy Johnson to score at least 10 wins on the season. Jimmy did that back in 2007. So Kevin Harvick is my pick to go to Victory Lane on Sunday evening at Texas Motor Speedway, becoming the second driver to clinch a spot in the championship four. You know, that's the thing, this race is going to start late in the afternoon. It's going to finish under the lights, and it's going to be dark out. And it reminds me of the race last year, Kevin Harvick. He was on the pole. You know, he dominated, he dominated that race, winning all three stages for that matter. <clears throat> So I think it's going to be, like I said, it's definitely going to be a repeat of this race last year. Kevin Harvick, my pick for victory lane on Sunday evening at Texas Motor Speedway. Now we, or actually, excuse me. So a couple more things. Also on Monday, Kyle Larson was finally reinstated by NASCAR. You know, and I, like I said on the show last week, you know, I got to give credit to Kyle. He has made a tremendous amount of effort to make himself a better person, to understand, you know, everything that is going on with civil rights and the division in the country and everything. So I'm definitely happy to see him get reinstated. And I think it's only going to be a matter of time until he is announced to the number five Hendrick Motorsports 
Chevrolet for 2021. You know, as Dale Earnhardt Jr. alluded to on his podcast last week, you know, they're going to be getting rid of the 88, that's what the rumor is, and bringing back the number five, the original Hendrick Motorsports number. So definitely looking forward to that. And then on Tuesday morning, Eric Jones announced that he will be driving the 43 car at Richard Petty Motorsports in 2021. Surprisingly, a multi-year deal. You know, so I think that's big for Richard Petty, you know, to get a young talent like Eric Jones. Not saying that Bubba Wallace isn't talented, but, you know, between the two of them, you would definitely have to consider Eric Jones the more talented of the two. And a multi-year deal and the affiliation with Richard Childress Racing, so I think it's definitely a great move in pairing him with a veteran crew chief and Jerry Baxter and Eric finally having some stability, a multi-year deal, instead of these one-year contracts that he was getting with Joe Gibbs Racing. And earlier this morning, you know, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, they announced the name of their team, 23XI Racing, 2311 Racing. That's what it's really called. But sure enough, that's what the logo says is 23XI Racing. And I would definitely imagine that it's going to be a Joe Gibbs-affiliated team with Toyota. So, like I said, that covers everything in the NFL. Now, tonight, week seven in the NFL begins. <laughs> the NFC least is on display. We have the 1-5 New York Giants visiting the 1-4-1 Philadelphia Eagles. And that game is 8-20 on Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. So think about this for a second. So the Philadelphia Eagles, that tiebreaker against the Cincinnati Bengals week three, that could work to their favor. They win tonight. They're leading the NFC East. At the same time, if they somehow manage to lose to the New York Giants and the Washington football team beats the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday, the New York Giants could be leading the NFC East on Sunday with a record of 2-5. and 2-5. Five. and five. How embarrassing is that? But, you know, I look at tonight's game, and big, big win for the New York Giants last week. You know, Joe Judge getting his first win as a head coach after being a, you know, a Bill Belichick disciple all these years and also working under Nick Saban at Alabama. And definitely a head-scratching call at the end of that game. You know, the Washington football team, they rally back. They get within a point. So you would think you just kick the extra point and send the game to overtime, and whatever happens, happens. And for whatever reason, Ron Rivera, you know, head coach of the Washington football team, he decides to go for two. Why? You know, sure enough, you know, the Giants, they escape and they get their first win in the Joe Judge era. That just absolutely blows my mind why you would do that. You know, and, and Ron said, oh, we were trying to win the game. Well, I, I get that, but I don't know. Absolutely ridiculous. And how ironic the Philadelphia Eagles, they rallied all the way back from being down 17 nothing last Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. You know, and getting a late touchdown there at the very end. And Doug Peterson decides to go for two. And he, he gives the ball to Wentz. And sure enough, Wentz gets stopped and they lose by two points. So definitely a very, very confusing amount of calls in the NFC least <laughs> this past Sunday. But you know what? I look at tonight's game. And for all the flack that Carson Wentz has gotten this year, he's actually played pretty decent these last two games against the Steelers and the Ravens. Two of the most top-notch defenses in the NFL. And it's kind of deja vu, you know, from last year. You have guys like Travis Fulgham, John Hightower, Miles Sanders. He's going to be out of lineup, so Boston Scott time once again. I mean, that's the thing. You know, everyone is critical of Carson Wentz, but he's making something out of nothing with guys that are on, on the practice squad. You know, and I look at... I look at this game, and I look at Darius Slay. Darius Slay, he's going <clears> to <throat> be paired up with Darius Slayton. How ironic is that? You know, Darius Slayton, you know, he, <clears throat> Darius Slayton, he's definitely been a playmaker for the New York Giants this year. But for all those reasons alone, you know, Eagles-Giants, it's always a close game. It's always a great rivalry, a great geographical rivalry, as me and Jason Boone talked about and everything. I say that the Philadelphia Eagles prevail tonight. Now... Sunday, 1 o'clock on CBS, the game of the week. The 5-0 Pittsburgh Steelers at the 5-0 Tennessee Titans, baby. Woo! I'll tell you what, Sean Rosansky, you can only imagine the amount of trash talking that he has done for this game. So the Pittsburgh Steelers improved to 5-0 for the first time since 1978. 1978 was the last time that they started 5-0. Tennessee Titans, they are 5-0 for the first time since 2008. You know, so ironically, as I said before, that year they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 
for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And Keith Bullock, their linebacker, as we all remember, he threw a terrible towel on the ground and stomped on it. And I guess you could say that, you know, the Tennessee Titans were cursed for the next nine years. They went one and done in the playoffs against the Baltimore Ravens. They had to wait nine years before they finally made it back to the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they won 38-7 to on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. I absolutely loved it, you know, because like I said, NFL Network, CBS, you know, they tried to sensationalize, you know, the Cleveland Browns. They're for real. They're a good team. They're a good team. Don't get me wrong. But it's like Jason Boone said, I think it's pretty eye-opening that their two losses are on the road, two division opponents. You know, they lose to Baltimore 38-6 to on opening day, and you lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers 38-7, to you know, to the point that, you know, Baker Mayfield, 10 out of 19, two interceptions, one of which was a pick six by Minka Fitzpatrick. A lot of people felt like he was due for a pick six, and he read that route perfectly and took it back, <laughs> took it right back to the end zone to make it 10 nothing Steelers. And, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, he has done a very good job this year, you know, managing not – I would say not really airing it out like he usually would. As we all know, he had a tendency to overthrow receivers throughout his career. You know, only only 23 passing attempts, touchdowns. <clears throat> I was going to say touchdowns for, excuse me, James Conner, Chase Claypool, James Washington. You have four sacks by the Steelers' defense. And also Benny Snell got a touchdown as well. So, you know, Kay Adams on NFL Network, she was saying, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have to prove they're for real, you know, because they beat the Giants, they beat the Texans, they beat the Broncos, they beat the Eagles. Basically, you know, in the eyes of a lot of people, a lot of crappy teams. But to take care of the Cleveland Browns, 38-7, to I think it sent a message to the NFL about the Pittsburgh Steelers and about their defense as well. Now, for the Tennessee Titans, what a thrilling game that was on Sunday going up against the Houston Texans. You know, you, you have to feel for Deshaun Watson. He is so talented. He threw four touchdowns himself on Sunday. But being on the one and five Houston Texans, you have an interim head coach. And Mike Vrabel, it is clear that he learned from Bill Belichick. You know, him with that 12th man penalty just to kill time off the clock, knowing that the Titans would get the ball back. And Ryan Tannehill, once again, what an amazing story that is. You know, after being traded to the Miami Dolphins, everyone was saying, oh, you know, Tannehill, he's injury prone. You cannot depend on him for an entire season. And he masterfully, masterfully drove the Titans down the field, threw that touchdown to A.J. Brown with four seconds to go to send the game to overtime. You know, and sure enough, the Titans, they got the ball. And Derrick Henry, what else can you say? This guy is an absolute freaking beast. 212 rushing yards on the day, 264 total yards on Sunday. You know, he had more total yards than six NFL teams on Sunday. I don't think the, the New York Jets, I don't think they even cracked 200. Think about that. Derrick Henry himself had more total yards than the New York Jets did on Sunday. And sure enough, that touchdown right there at the very end to win the game for the Tennessee Titans, this is going to be the game of the week for sure. And it's all about the lines. You know, it's all about Pittsburgh's front seven, and it's all about the Tennessee Titans, their offensive line. Obviously, they have done a good job providing blocks for Derrick Henry to have the, these monstrous games. But at the same time, let's not forget, Jack Conklin, he left in the offseason for the Cleveland Browns and a huge, huge blow for the Tennessee Titans. Losing Taylor Lewan, their left tackle, for the season with a torn ACL. You know, you, you can't help but feel sorry for him. He's definitely one of the more colorful personalities in the NFL. Also for the Pittsburgh Steelers, losing Devin Bush, their second-year linebacker out of Michigan. How ironic, two, two Michigan guys that are done for the season because of torn ACLs. You know, definitely heartbreaking for sure. This is going to surprise everybody. I've been a Pittsburgh Steelers fan for 25 years. And this game is certainly winnable. I think that Pittsburgh puts up a great fight. But at the same time, as great as their defense is, we also see some deficiencies as well. Obviously, stopping an offense on third down. You know, and if, if they had trouble stopping the Philadelphia Eagles on third down, I just have a feeling that they're going to have trouble stopping the Tennessee Titans on third down, especially with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill, these last two games, has thrown 13 touchdowns to two interceptions. So, believe it or not, this Sunday, 
It pains me to say this. I am going with the Tennessee Titans. And Sean Rosansky didn't influence me. That's just what I see. <laughs> the 2-4 and four Dallas Cowboys at the 1-5 and five Washington football team. Ugh. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> As Sean Rosansky would say. Honestly, and I'm sure Josh Manley is going to back me up on this, what an absolutely pathetic performance on Monday night by the Dallas Cowboys. Andy Dalton, you know, making his first start after Dak Prescott was lost for the season. Two interceptions. Ezekiel Elliott, two fumbles. Only 49 yards against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, you know, I, I guess I got to give credit where credit's due. I guess Arizona really is for real. You know, the Washington football team, they are 1-5. Sounds like Kyle Allen will be the starter for, you know, for the moment and everything. It's just hard for me to have any faith in the Dallas Cowboys right now, and especially after Jane Slater from NFL Network, after she reported all of the, <clears throat> excuse me, all of the anonymous players that are bashing Mike McCarthy and the new coaching staff, saying, "Oh, you know, they don't know what they're doing. They're not coaching us right," so on and so forth. What a disastrous, disastrous stretch for the Dallas Cowboys. And let's not forget the offensive line too. That vaunted offensive line, Tyron Smith, he's now done for the year. It, it's This is going to be another pick that's going to shock everyone, but I am going with the Washington football team on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. The 4-2 Buffalo Bills at the 0-6 New York Jets. <laughs> Same old Jets. 0-6 for the first time since 1996. 1996, obviously the year that Rich Kotite led the Jets to the 1-15 record, and you know, sure enough, they fired him, and Bill Parcells came along and, and righted the ship. Now, the Buffalo Bills, they fall to 4-2. That's two losses in a row to two AFC powerhouses, first to the Tennessee Titans on a Tuesday night. On a Tuesday night game, 42-16, the Titans hadn't played in 16 days, and sure enough, the Monday game you know, with the Kansas City Chiefs, 26 to 17, Josh Allen struggled badly, badly in you know the, the cold, rainy, damp conditions of, <clears throat> of Orchard Park. But nevertheless, you're playing the New York Jets, they're 0-6. Nobody even knows who's gonna start, whether Sam Darnold is finally gonna be back, whether Joe Flacco, you know, if, if he's gonna start a quarterback once again. I mean, the Jets got shut out 24 to nothing by, by the Miami Dolphins, and we'll get to that in a second, obviously, with the you know the announcement of Ryan Fitzpatrick being benched for a Tua Vailoa. I think that the train wreck of a season continues for the New York Jets. And sure enough, the Buffalo Bills, they will improve to 5-2. and two. But like I said, I think this is pretty much just the fact that they are going, you know, just the fact that they are playing the New York Jets. It's kind of hard to have any faith in Buffalo, you know, when, when you beat you beat the Jets already, opening day. You beat the Dolphins with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You beat, I was going to say, you beat the Raiders, who were kind of very hit and, hit and miss. So, like I said, it's it's just an absolute mess right now in <laughs> in New Jersey. And I'm honestly surprised that, that Adam Gase still has a job at this point when you consider Dan Quinn was fired, when you consider that Bill O'Brien was fired. So... There was a lot of debate with me, Jason Boone, and Eric Kotz. You know, was this the right time for the Miami Dolphins to move on from Ryan Fitzpatrick and hand it over to Tua Tungavailoa, or Tour, as, as Boone likes to call him? So, so this is what Boone had to say earlier in the week. He's, he's like, here's the case for Tua, as he likes to say, imitating Mike Francesa. He says, one, yes, I know they are one game out of the playoff race, but Fitzpatrick isn't leading them to the Super Bowl. It's not just happening with him. Nothing against the guy, but he's a journeyman stopgap quarterback at best. Two, experience is super valuable. Go through any growing pains now rather than next year when you can really put it all together. It's the perfect time to put him in since they have everything to play for. Waiting until they are out of the playoff race won't do crap in experience, in the experience column. Obviously, that's PG rated. <laughs> And three, he said, if you really believe the Dolphins can be a dark horse, they have a better chance to make noise. <laughs> you know, he said Fitzpatrick provides a safe floor. You know, but two, uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, he said that's why you make the move right now. So I definitely get where, where Boone is coming from. You know, the future is now. The future is now. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, the, he's not a guy that you can depend on for an entire season. And he was doing a hell of a job. But like I said, you know, you still have a chance at, at a wild card. You still have a chance at the AFC East. 
make the move now instead of next year. And obviously, you know, you're talented. You have all the draft picks, you know, available for you. So definitely some good points by Boone. Now, here's his one of his upset picks of the week. The 3-3 three and three Carolina Panthers at the 4-2 and two New Orleans Saints. You know, the Saints, they are an ugly 4-2. and two. I mean, having to rally back from 17 down to beat the Chargers on Monday night before their bye week. Michael Thomas sucker-punching a teammate and now re-injuring himself, tweaking his hamstring in practice. You know, the Carolina Panthers, they're 3-3, three and three, but they've been in a lot of close games. They lost 23-16 to the Chicago Bears. They almost beat the Raiders on opening day. They ended up losing 34 to 30. Teddy Bridgewater, as Stacy Dales was saying, you know, he he's he's on record pace for some personal numbers this year. Drew Brees, you know, that's the thing. You're you're starting to see the age. You're starting to see it in his arm. He can't throw the ball down the field like he was able to. There was all this talk that, you know, this this might end up being his final season. So, Boone, he might be going with the Carolina Panthers, but I got to go with the New Orleans Saints. The 4-1 Green Bay Packers at the 1-5 Houston Texans. Oh, my God, what a disaster of a day for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. You know, but at the end of the day, I think this is what happens when you come off of a bye. Plain and simple. I mean, we've seen it so many times with some of the best teams and best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, you're 4-0 going in. Aaron Rodgers had a horrible day. I mean, you, you know, you're up 10 nothing, but then you throw two interceptions, one of which was a pick six by Tampa. So I think Green Bay definitely bounces back against a reeling Houston team. I think Houston will make it close. But at the end of the day, like I said, he's going to have some of his weapons back. You know, Devontae Adams, he's, going, he's, he's back in the lineup. So I, don't, I wouldn't be too concerned if I were the Green Bay Packers moving forward. The 4-2 Cleveland Browns at the 1-4-1 Cincinnati Bengals. You know, once again, aside from the Baltimore Ravens game, the Bengals, they are in so many close games. If only they could just have an offensive line for Joe Burrow. They're up 21-0 against the Colts uh, this past Sunday and ended up losing. I think that's the thing with the Cleveland Browns. Like I said before, they're a good team, but really it's all a matter of who the hell have they really beaten. You know, you. I was going to say, they barely beat the Cincinnati Bengals week two, Thursday night football, 35 to 30. You beat the Washington football team. You beat the Dallas Cowboys and you beat the Indianapolis Colts. And there's still a lot of question marks with the Colts. So I think this is definitely going to be another close game. I think it's a winnable game for Cleveland. I think Baker Mayfield, I think only the biggest question is, you know, how healthy is he really going to be? And is Odell Beckham Jr. Is, is he finally going to grow up after throwing a fit on, at Heinz Field on Sunday and throwing his helmet. You know, Jarvis Landry, I was I was going to say, I think that he is due for, for a pretty big game. And, you know, I was going to say, the running game, that should be interesting too. Kareem Hunt, he really hasn't taken off ever since Nick Chubb went on short-term IR. <clears throat> the 2-3 and three Detroit Lions at the 1-5 Atlanta Falcons, the last of the 1 o'clock games for Sunday. You know, so... Detroit, they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-16. I mean, really no surprise there. But, you know, all weekend long, you know, everyone, NFL Network, all these websites, oh, yeah, you know, start Matt Stafford in fantasy. Start Matt Stafford in fantasy. You know, he's playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, and I only got 13 points from him. Only 13 points. You know, I'm, I've, I've been down this road before. You know, I, I drafted him in 2012, and sure enough, opening day he throws three interceptions. It's it's ridiculous. You know, I'm I'm not buying into the Matt Stafford hype anymore. So moving forward as far as fantasy football goes, now that Dak Prescott is done for the year, it's Ryan Tannehill time for me. You know, like that's the thing that, you know, honestly sometimes I get tired of hearing the whole narrative of, oh, if Matt Stafford was on a better team, if Matt Stafford was on a better team, look, he's talented. But honestly, some of the players that he's had in Detroit, I mean, it's not like he's had a bunch of scrubs either. Seriously, you know, it's... I don't buy into the, the Matt Stafford hype like most people do. You know, sure enough, I mean, their, their game on Sunday, a majority of it was, you know, two touchdowns with DeAndre Swift, one touchdown by Adrian Peterson, Kenny Galladay. You know, he had four catches, but they were for 105 yards. So, I mean, they took care of business because, I mean, Matt Stafford, the clock – or not Matt Stafford, Matt Patricia, the clock is definitely ticking for him. You know, he knows that he is on thin ice this year. And the one and five Atlanta Falcons – their very first game after firing Dan Quinn, Raheem Morris promoted to interim head coach. The very first play of the game, Kirk Cousins gets picked off. He got picked off three times on Sunday, and the Falcons win 40-23. to 
Julio Jones, you know, having a monstrous day. And once again, Matt Ryan, here's the crazy thing. So the NFL trade deadline is November 3rd. And, of course, we all remember with the Atlanta Falcons, oh, yeah, you know, 28-3, 28-3. You know, they, they blew a 28-3 lead in the, in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. What people don't forget was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons was Kyle Shanahan. And the reason I bring this up is because, so this morning, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, they traded Yannick Ndokwe to the Baltimore Ravens, reuniting him with his former Jacksonville Jaguars teammate, Calais Campbell. So that, to me, you know, Minnesota, they're on a bye week. That makes you feel like, you know, they're 1-5. They're throwing in the towel. You know, like, like my buddy Johnny Glow has been saying for several weeks now, tank it for Trevor. <laughs> you know, but Johnny Glow, I love you, buddy. But like I said, as, as far as the tank it for Trevor, I think the Jets are definitely in prime position for that. And it's like that funny meme that, that Boone and Kotz sent me, you know, if, or not, not a funny meme, it was actually Roddy White, since we're talking about the Falcons. Roddy White said, you know, if, if I'm Trevor Lawrence and the New York Jets go 0-16 and they have the number one pick in 2021, I'm staying at Clemson for my final season. Seriously. It's almost kind of like Peyton Manning. You know, like I said, the, the 1996 New York Jets, they went 1-15 with Rich Kotite. They had the number one pick, you know, and... It was clear like Peyton Manning was going to be the number one pick regardless of if he went in the draft as a junior or a senior. But sure enough, you know, the Jets, they had that number one pick. And, you know, Peyton Manning was like, I'm staying for my senior year at Tennessee. And I'll tell you what, what obviously what a brilliant move that was. You know, he got drafted number one overall by the Colts in 1998. And the rest, as they say, is history. But anyway, the whole thing with Matt Ryan is, you know, he's very talented He's, but he's on a one in five team. We all know with the San Francisco 49ers, we know Jimmy Garoppolo has somewhat struggled this year. I mean, amidst the high ankle sprain injury and whatnot. So it makes you wonder, you know, there are some rumblings. Would Kyle Shanahan make a move and trade with the Atlanta Falcons to reunite himself with Matt Ryan? I doubt it's going to happen, but makes you wonder. So I know a lot of people are picking Detroit for this game, but like I said, you guys know how I feel with Matt Stafford. I haven't bought into the hype, honestly, since day one. Me and Billy Lawson, we've never really been strong, strong believers in Matt Stafford. So I am taking the Atlanta Falcons. Now, originally, the Sunday night game was supposed to be the 4-2 Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the 3-2 Las Vegas Raiders. However, their offensive lineman, Trent Brown, tested positive yesterday for COVID-19, and John Gruden had to send home the entire offensive line. That being said, NBC and the NFL, they have swapped games out. The Sunday night game, 820 on NBC, will now be the 5-0 Seattle Seahawks at the 4-2 Arizona Cardinals and Tampa Bay and the Raiders. That has been moved to 405 on Fox obviously because of COVID-19. That's the thing, you know, Trent Brown, he was one of five Raiders that had to be put on the COVID-19 list today. So, you know, this game, and you think about it, it has been crazy already. The two losses for Tampa Bay, it was ugly. You know, oh, Tom Brady looked old. Rob Gronkowski looked old. Tom Brady didn't know what down it was, so on and so forth. Tampa looked like a complete team this past Sunday, beating Green Bay 38 to 10. And it wasn't just about Tom Brady. You know, I mean, well, if you're Skip Bayless, you think it's all about Tom Brady. Tom Brady only threw for 166 yards and two touchdowns. They got the running game going with Ronald Jones, of all people. Ronald Jones, who's kind of really been a disappointment with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, Tampa's front seven. They have absolutely been incredible this year. And sure enough, they're, they're, they're backfield, too. You know, the two interceptions of Aaron Rodgers, one of which was a pick six. Las Vegas Raiders, I mean, they're coming off of a bye. And what an impressive win. You know, winning an arrowhead, 40-32 to over Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Kansas City Chiefs. But it's like Kyle Williams said, John Gruden hates buys. You know, he hates buys. The Raiders have been giving up at least 30 points a game. And it was funny, I was talking to Kyle Williams this afternoon, and he said, he said the Raiders might play this game without their entire offensive line. He said, only the Raiders. <laughs> I love when Kyle Williams always says that. Only the Raiders. Well, Kyle, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but regardless of whenever this game is going to be played, whether it's, you know, Sunday at 4.05, whether it's Monday, whether it's Tuesday, you know, it's it's hard for me to 
pick against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady, and Bruce Arians right now. And that's the other thing, too. Rob Gronkowski, you know, the first five games, everyone was saying, oh, you know, Gronk, he, he's like a dinosaur. He's old. He's washed up. He's only getting like two catches a game. Sure enough, he got his first touchdown Sunday, his first touchdown in almost two years. Last one was against the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2018. The 1 and 5 Jacksonville Jaguars at the 2 and 3 Los Angeles Chargers. As Sean Rosansky likes to say, silly Jags. <laughs> you know, the Chargers, as usual, just like it was when Phillip Rivers is there, they're 2 and 3, but man, they could easily be 3 and 2 or 4 and 1. They have been in so many close games. I mean, sure enough, they did beat, you know, they did beat the Bengals opening day by three points. We all remember blowing a 10 point lead against the Kansas City Chiefs week two, you know, Harrison Bucker making three field goals in a row of 50 and more, you know, 50 yards or more, three attempts in a row, being successful with all of them. You have a 17-point lead on Monday Night Football, Justin Herbert, or as Boone likes to say, Justin Hoybert, (laughs) imitating Mike Francesa. You know, Justin Herbert being the first rookie quarterback to throw four touchdowns on Monday Night Football. I know the backfield is banged up. You know, I know Austin Eckler, you know, he's going to be out four to six weeks. Now Justin Jackson, you know, he he's going through a bit of a knee injury and everything. This is one of the easiest games to pick. I'm going with the Chargers. The 3-3 three and three, San Francisco 49ers at the 2-3 and three New England Patriots. How ironic. How ironic because let's go back to 2017 right at about the time of this year, probably right to the day. We all remember how Bill Belichick wanted to trade Tom Brady. And, of course, how Skip Bayless acted like it was the crime of the century. Bill Belichick, to me, is the greatest coach in NFL history. And that's coming from a Steelers fan. This is a guy that has been in the NFL for 45 years, whether he was with the Lions, the Giants, you know, his brief stint as head coach of the Cleveland Browns, going back to New England, going to the Jets, and then obviously being the head coach of the New England Patriots for 20 years now. Bill Belichick obviously saw something in Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, and Tom Brady, he caught wind of it, and he went up to Robert Kraft's office and, you know, pouted about it. And, you know, Robert Kraft was like, oh, Tommy's like a son to me, so you're not trading Tommy, you're trading Jimmy. Now, the interesting thing is, supposedly, Bill Belichick has always had a very, very good relationship with Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's father. That same year was when Kyle Shanahan became the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. He became the head coach, obviously, the day after the infamous 28-3 debacle in the Super Bowl. Now, the story goes that Bill Belichick sat down with Kyle Shanahan a few weeks later at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis and basically told Kyle, look, this is what you did right. This is what you did wrong in the Super Bowl. This is how you correct it moving forward. So obvious, it's obvious that Bill has a lot of respect and admiration for the Shanahan family. So when that happened, he was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo to the 49ers for a second-round pick. Now, in the, the lead-up to this game, Bill Belichick had some very, very interesting comments. So the 49ers, like I said, they're 3-3. Three and three. They beat the Rams 24-16 to 16 on Sunday night. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, he had three touchdowns. You know, George, I was going to say George Kittle was one of them. Um, Robert Woods and Josh Reynolds, you know, but of course Raheem Mostert, he was re-injured. And Tony Dungy said, you know, it was a good balance. You know, Jimmy had his three touchdowns, but they finally got the running game going again. And we all know George Kittle is undoubtedly one of the best tight ends in the NFL. You can make the argument possibly the best. Him and Travis Kelsey, it's sort of 1A, 1B. So Bill Belichick said in his press conference earlier this week, he said, yeah, he said George Kittle is one of the best tight ends ever, probably one of the best I've ever gone up against. And, of course, Skip Bayless being Skip Bayless, he felt like that was a shot at, you know, Rob Gronkowski, whatever. The Patriots are 2-3. and three. They lost to the Broncos 18-12 on Sunday. Cam Newton got rocked several times in that game, just like the Super Bowl when he was with the Carolina Panthers. And Sean Rosansky brought up an interesting point. Cam Newton is now 0-4 against the Denver Broncos. You know, he lost to them in 2012 when Peyton Manning was there. Sure enough, the Super Bowl when he didn't dive for the, for the football. He got concussed opening night in 2016 during the rematch. And then this past Sunday... New England is a very, like I said, they're two and three. The last time that they were under 500 in the month of October was 2001, the year that they won their first Super Bowl. 
I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. Hell, I don't think they're even going to get to 500 at this point. So, got to go with the San Francisco 49ers on this one. The 5-1 Kansas City Chiefs at the 2-3 Denver Broncos. Le'Veon Bell makes his Kansas City Chiefs debut this Sunday at the Mile High Stadium in Denver. But, Honestly, I really don't know what kind of role Le'Veon Bell is really going to have. To me, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I still feel like he is going to be the main back with the Chiefs. But obviously, we all know Le'Veon, how great he is with his his pass-catching ability. Whether he was with the Steelers, obviously not so much with the Jets. Denver, Drew Locke is back. But like I said, a majority of their offense on Sunday was the ground game. With Phillip Lindsay, obviously after Melvin Gordon... You know, he sat the game out. We all know about the DUI situation. They claim that he was sick, but, you know, we all know. Seriously, we all know the reason why the Broncos didn't play him on Sunday, in my opinion. So, obviously, this is another easy one, but I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now we move to Sunday Night Football, the 5-0 Seattle Seahawks. First time ever in their 44 years of existence that they are 5-0. The 4-2 Arizona Cardinals, you know, Seattle, they're coming off of their bye. But to me, they're definitely the most complete team in the NFC, in my opinion. Well, well, one of them. You know, defensively, they're not what they were seven years ago. But at the same time, they're nothing like they were on offense seven years ago when they won that Super Bowl against the Broncos. You know, I mean, back then, it was basically Marshawn Lynch. Now it's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. You know, as Sean likes to say, the Russell Wilson-DK Metcalf combo. So, you know, you, you have, I was going to say, you have him. You have Chris Carson. You can get the running game established there. You have Greg Olson, the ageless wonder that he is. So Russell Wilson definitely has the weapons on offense, and he has definitely been carrying that team. You know, obviously with a very, very shoddy offensive line the past few years. And it makes me question why the hell the Seattle Seahawks want to sign Antonio Brown. Now, Antonio Brown, you know, he he had his fit with the Steelers. They traded him to the Raiders in March of 2019. He acted like a clown the whole time he was there. He got released the day before opening day. Just a few hours later, the Patriots signed him. Oh, yeah, I'm a Patriot. I'm glad to be here. I'll behave. I'll do this. I'll do that. You know, sure enough, he played one game. All the allegations came out, and he was gone just like that. So the thing is, Antonio Brown's suspension is going to end after week seven of the NFL. And supposedly the Seattle Seahawks want to sign him. Why? I have no idea. But I guess if, I guess if there's one coach that's so mellow and can handle the situation, it's Pete Carroll. And the strange thing for me is the advocate that has wanted the Seahawks to sign Antonio Brown has been Russell Wilson. You know, you're, you're 5-0, and you're probably the favorite to repre- not only represent the NFC at the Super Bowl, but possibly, you know, maybe even win the Super Bowl for that matter. Why would you want, why would you want that kind of cancer in your locker room? But then again, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, they just added a cancer to their locker room. You know, the Arizona Cardinals, they're 4-2. Dominant, dominant win on Monday night against the Dallas Cowboys, 38-10. You know, Buda Baker, one of two interceptions of Andy Dalton. Kenyon Drake, you know, I know a lot of people drafted him. They were disappointed in his season so far. But 164 yards and two touchdowns. You know, I say the Tennessee Titans, they remain undefeated after Sunday. And I say the Seattle Seahawks remain undefeated after Sunday. And finally, Monday night football, the 5-1 Chicago Bears at the 4-2 Los Angeles Rams, 8-15 on ESPN. You know, I was definitely shocked to see the Rams lose to the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday night. The Chicago Bears, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't really given them enough credit, really. I mean, they're 5-1, but, I mean, really, it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of an, I wouldn't say ugly 5-1, but definitely surprising 5-1. We consider they started the year with Mitch Trubisky. Then they moved to Nick Foles. But like I said, you know, Nick Foles, he'll have one great game, the huge comeback against Atlanta. Then he'll lay an egg, you know, against the Indianapolis Colts. He beats Tom Brady on Thursday Night Football and then has sort of a, a subpar performance against the Carolina Panthers. You know, the Los Angeles Rams with, I was going to say, with, you know, with Jared Goff. With Jared Goff, Daryl Henderson, Reynolds, Robert Woods, you know, while the weapons are there, Tyler Higby, you know, he has been a disappointment, in my opinion, as far as tight ends go. And then, of course, let's not forget about the other side of the ball, obviously, Aaron Donald, 
you know, I think he is going to wreak havoc on Monday night. I think he's going to get to Nick Foles several times. Jalen Ramsey, he's going to be paired up with Allen Robinson, and I think that that's a mismatch right there. So, you know, me and Boone, we're going to disagree on, on this one as well. He's going with the Bears, but I'm going with the Rams. I don't know. I mean, I know the Bears are 5-1. and one. That's the best start since 2006 when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Colts. But like I said, I'm just not, not a believer yet in the Chicago Bears. So that was a lot to cover. But like I said, we managed to make it through. So just a quick recap, my picks. The Xfinity race on Saturday, Justin Allgaier. Then on Sunday, I am going with Christian Eckes for the truck race and Kevin Harvick for the cup race. And obviously, NFL picks for tonight. Eagles over Giants. Sunday, Titans over Steelers. Washington over Dallas. Bills over the Jets. Saints over the Panthers. Packers over Houston. Browns over Bengals. Falcons over Lions. Bucks over Raiders. Chargers over the Jags, 49ers over the Patriots, Chiefs over the Broncos, Seahawks over the Cardinals, and the Rams over the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football. So that's going to do it for episode 27 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy this weekend. Y'all take it easy.